0: This is MuggleCast, the Harry Potter podcast discussing everything about J.K. Rowling's Wizarding World. Welcome to MuggleCast episode 368. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. We have a special Mother's Day themed edition of MuggleCast and we're joined by a mother. And she was actually on the show a few weeks ago. Charisse, welcome back to the show.
1: Well, thank you, Andrew. I'm glad to be back.
0: What are your mother credentials?
1: (laughs) Well, um... I have not biologically given birth to children, but I am a foster parent, and I have had about 15 kids in my home, ranging from ages four months, clear up to 20 years old. Wow. Um, we currently just adopted our first child. Uh, she is three years old.
0: That's amazing. Congratulations. That's so exciting. Thank you. Uh, So it's nice to have you on. We're going to talk about the mothers in the Harry Potter series. We're going to talk about who we think is the best mother, what these mothers have contributed to the story over the years. Let's jump straight into it. Before we get to the specific mothers of the Harry Potter series, I thought we should start the discussion with how would raising a young witch or wizard differ from raising a child in the muggle world? Because that's a there must be clear differences there
2: hmm so if you're a muggle parent and your kid is magic
0: well yeah or no, not necessarily you don't have to be a muggle parent per se i'm just wondering how how raising a child differs when you're involved in the wizarding
2: world well you know? i mean i i see it as as like uh raising a kid with uh with a talent you want to foster that talent kind of you know mm-hmm. um kind of I mean I think it is different if you're also a wizard or a witch because we've seen that uh, wizarding households are kind of run a little bit differently government wise, especially with the statute of secrecy being a thing um you know Ron Weasley had a very different upbringing than Harry did even even underage magic isn't really policed in wizarding homes because there's apparently no way to track who's doing it so you could actually, grow up doing a little bit of magic a lot you know a long time before you're 11 if you grew up in a wizarding household.
0: I was I was wondering how, about going to school. Do do you not go to school until Hogwarts if you're a wizarding child? Like is there a preschool? Is there a kindergarten? What are these children doing? That's a good question. <laughs> before Hogwarts.
1: That's what, I mean the only thing that we ever see is the Weasley kids. So I mean, and of course Molly stays home with them, but what about the moms at work?
2: It's it's so weird to me that for somebody like Hermione, who is Muggleborn, you know, her first introduction to the Wizarding World seemed to be when she got her Hogwarts letter, which is when she turned eleven. Like that is a long time to be a witch or wizard without knowing about it and if it's anything like harry who had all these unexplained things happening to him when he was very young um you know you're gonna wonder what's up you're gonna wonder what's going on it seems like there should have been communication a little bit sooner than that right um on the part of the wizarding world to be like hey you're a kid with muggle parents you don't know any of this but you have magical powers and magic's a thing ps well
0: that's Um, what i was also wondering like and that leads into my next question. What Hermione didn't exhibit any signs? Was she sneezing out magic fairy dust? Like, there must have been some sort of sign. <laughs> and then I'm wondering for the parents, like, what does that, how do you react to that? Do they go to a class, or a course about. <laughs> what to expect when your child is a mug is a wizard. (laughs) There should be
2: special classes you can take in Diagon Alley or something for, for muggle parents looking to, to, to work with their, their kids a little bit more because they, I think ultimately Hermione's parents are an example of parents who are doing it right. Like they, presumably before they found out she was magical, they already supported her in her. um, I wanted to say literacy, but like her literary prowess, like, her academia, they, they, they really seemingly encouraged her to read all she could, you know, and made that available to her. And they were just pleased as punch when they found out that she was also a witch and Mm -hmm. special. And so, you know, having parents that foster that, that support that, that want their kids to grow and excel, um, as much as they can, is the great mindset. But I, I, we haven't really seen what plans are in place to, really ease that transition. It it could probably be hard for parents having a magical kid.
3: I think though, too, we're dealing with the story starting more or less out when Harry is already 11 years old and is finding out that he's going to Hogwarts. We don't have a whole lot of context to what happens prior to that. And if there are instances throughout the series, they're very limited in explaining what a Ron went through or Hermione went through when they were growing up. So I would just think it would be, you know, I'm picturing Molly Weasley in the kitchen having to deal with a younger version of Fred and George. You know, think about how they are <laughs> when they're grown, never mind what they were probably like when they were six or seven or even younger. I mean, it probably created such a mess in that household.
2: We always hear about like uh, pranks they pulled on Ron, like um, one of them changed his teddy bear into a, a tarantula. Or something like that. Like, that stuff was definitely going on. Charisse, what's your daughter's name?
1: It's Elena Jane.
0: Has Elena Jane exhibited any signs of being (laughs) a witch yet?
1: Besides the red hair?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. uh, Sneezing magic dust.
1: That's not a thing. Making
0: snakes, talking to snakes. None of that? Okay, just checking.
1: Oh, I hope she's not talking to snakes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Don't like snakes.
1: No, I don't.
0: <laughs> I'm picturing like a, a wizarding daycare for the families where a parent can't stay home during the day. And that would be an absolute mess, I think. it. it, it I keep thinking about The Incredibles as Jack-Jack. How's yeah. like you can't restrain him because of his powers, which we really don't know much about, but maybe we will in the Incredibles 2 coming out this summer. <sighs> but anyway, I think I think it would be like that where these kids Maybe show brief signs of magic, and and there'd be no way to control them. It's hard enough to control a child without
2: magical powers.
1: Yes, it is.
2: <laughs> I just watched The Incredibles the other day, so now I get that reference, and it's also it's a very good one. It came it out like fourteen years ago. You I know, just watched I know. it. I'm a little late. I'm a little behind. Oh my the gosh! Curve, but you know, I I'm prepped to watch uh, Incredibles too. So good. There we yeah. go. The baby Jack, Jack. It's the same thing, right? As a parent, you just want. Your kid to succeed, you, you, you got to be able to give them the, the environment that they need to in which to thrive, I think.
1: Absolutely. Um, we've had some I mean, we've had kids with totally different personalities in our home. And with each one, you have to assess because each child is different. Like this, we have a young man who's 15 who will be moving into our home in a week. And he absolutely loves horses. Really? Um, Yes. So thank goodness. I mean, though we live in Kansas City, we live closer to the outskirts of Kansas City. So farms are very accessible to us. So we're able to accommodate this child's needs Mm. to maybe work through Because we deal with a lot of kids with trauma. Mm. So the horses can help them work through the trauma. But also, um, we had a 11-year-old boy who we believe is autistic. And when he came, Elena was still two. And at two years old, you're still learning what you can and can't do. Mm-hmm. And the 11-year-old saw everything very black and white. And he's mm-hmm. like, well, she shouldn't be doing that. Well, yes, she should not be doing that. But she's still learning. Sometimes we have to learn the hard way and she might get hurt, but that's okay.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think we all probably have those stories of like things we did as a kid that was not, you know, smart. Like I, I remember putting my finger in a, um, electrical outlet that was exposed. (laughs) My dad was dumb enough or unfortunate enough to leave it exposed. And, uh, I got a zap, you know, and it was, um, gosh, some, I mean, but there's always, the like, the, the near-death experiences. I rode my trike into the street once by accident, and, you know— Oh, my god, it's, Yeah, w- it's—you know, it's a miracle I'm alive here, guys, uh, today. But as kids, we get into danger. We get into um, trouble, and, and that's just exacerbated if we're—if we were witches and wizards and magical.
3: When, when yeah. we were growing up, I would say baby-proofing was not what it is today. I think— I, Far more extensive measures are being taken than when we were crawling around or walking around. Oh, really? So. Have you seen? Yeah. I've not
2: seen it improve. I've I've uh, we used to just have those like links, those little plastic links that prevent cabinets from opening all the way. Well,
3: that said, what your story about the um, uh, the power outlet, I, yeah. I've I did that a couple of years ago, so I don't know what that <laughs> says.
2: <laughs> Micah is still a child needing parental we... supervision.
0: We need to baby proof your home, I guess. Yeah. So, micah mica proof w- it. It wasn't
3: I didn't like go ahead and put my finger into the outlet. It was actually just you know, I was plugging something in and got a nice shock up the uh r- side of my right um, arm.
1: Hmm. I could give you some good baby proof pointers, Micah.
3: Okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well there my not next any question
3: is that I'm aware of at this point, but I'll I'll come back to you maybe in a couple years.
1: You have to stay <laughs> safe too.
0: Yeah. My next question was going to be, would we ever let our child touch our wand? But I think we've kind of answered that question. I don't even think I'd let Micah, an adult, touch my wand.
2: <laughs> we got to keep Micah away from all our wands when he comes to Chicago next week.
0: <laughs> this is good info. Actually, I I'm, I'm, i don't think you can come over to my place, Micah. When, when I was getting it inspected, they were pointing out how some things need to be baby proofed. And I was like, oh, you don't have to worry about that
2: here. <laughs> <laughs> Did you show them your, your uh, nonverbal magic uh, thermostat, though? That's pretty yes. cool. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: What, what did you want to bring up, uh, Cherise? These two
2: points.
1: Um, just how, with the different stories, um, as in Deathly Hallows, when um, Scrimgeour is giving Hermione tells of Beetle the Bard, and um, she's like, okay. And Harry's like, okay. And Ron's like, oh, yeah, these stories. And then Hermani's like, we grew up with Cinderella and these other stories. So it's just kind of, I want to say like different lore. Yeah. Stuff like that. Different stories to do morals and stuff like that. I, that's where I wanted to go with that. It's just different cultures. So different stories.
2: Yeah. Their they're whole, I mean, we're talking like, Bedtime stories, you know, Ron, Ron is is, Molly Weasley would read uh, and she would always say twilight instead of moonlight or whatever the thing is. But, um, you know, when she read Beetle the Bard, uh, the tale of three brothers, this is true, though, the stories that we're telling our kids from early ages all have, you know, morals associated with them more than more than not. And the morals are in some cases the same and in some cases different. And the tales of beetle, the bard, which is my favorite companion novel um, has a lot of dark stories, you know, like it's, a, it's as if somebody read the non watered down Grimm's fairy tales um, to, to children um, where witches and wizards actually die. Um, and, you know, Cinderella has it pretty rough, but I think beetle, the bard, like the warlocks, Harry Hart, is, which is again, my, my favorite story of that is just so, so, so direct. The idea that they're teaching this to wizarding kids, um, or, or telling these stories is changing the way that they see the world around them. Like, like fairy tales do us. I think fairy tales tend to instill our kids, like a sense of hope, like want to be a prince or a princess, um, you know, with, with some exceptions of, don't be greedy like the evil queen or something like that. And, you know, Beetle the Bard isn't that much different, but it is a little bit different. Yes. Yeah. Each, all of those stories involve performing magic that presumably is in this child's future. Like, it's not like when we listen to stories about witches and wizards, we're like, Oh, that's cool. We could never do that. There's no expectation that we will be able to create an enchanted apple or drink a magic potion that becomes bigger or smaller. But if that's in a, in a kid's book uh, in, in the wizarding world, those kids could actually learn to do that one day. And I think that's, that changes things. Mm
1: -hmm. Like you were saying, we read um, princess stories every night to Elena Jane. So that's what she likes. Hmm. But I mean, she'll never kiss a frog and he'll become a prince (laughs) and whatnot. Um, Hmm. But with magic, that very well could happen mm. and so it's these stories are true <laughs> it's so forth and like tells a beetle the bard so they can come true
2: mm. i know it's kind of a cool angle it would be like us reading uh historical non-fiction to our kids um in a way for for beetle the bard though
3: if i'm remembering correctly the two stories that jump to the very top of Ron's mind are The Wizard and the Hopping Pot and Babbity Rabbity and her cackling stump. Yeah. So I wonder if there's almost a progression to reading the Tales of Beetle the Bard. Because as you do mention, they do get darker uh, mm-hmm. as you move through them. And honestly, I don't remember every scene from from the two stories I just mentioned, if there's anything specifically that's very dark to them. But those seem to really elicit a positive response from ron like he's going back into his childhood and he's very excited to talk about these stories so i wonder uh and what about for harry though i mean hermione may very well have had cinderella and other disney tales to uh to learn from but harry was shut in you know underneath the stairs and and i wanted to talk about that for a minute too because the experience for him growing up uh Petunia and Vernon would have done pretty much anything to forcefully have Harry repress his magical ability, even though he had absolutely no clue uh, that that he possessed this. I'm thinking about you know, always trying to cut his hair, but his hair would grow back and how he magically ended up on top of the roof at school uh, when he was being chased. Right. There's these mentions of things that he does, but yet I wonder how much more he actually exhibited that Petunia and Vernon just kind of wanted to explain away and and not have him think much about.
1: Um, On that, Micah, I definitely, I think Harry had so much Gryffindor in him that he never let Petunia and Vernon get him down because I could so see if Harry hadn't been as strong as he was. He could have easily become an obscure, um an obscurus, mm. and because they would try to stamp out the magic. Mm-hmm. And if he was like, "Oh no, I don't want to get into trouble," da da da. So I'll just do exactly what they say. Um, but he's like, "Oh, I turned my teacher's wig blue." Okay, whatever. <laughs>
2: It is, it, Harry is a sad case, and I don't think Petunia will be winning the uh, Mother of the Universe Awards. I don't think she would have read to him, and frankly, I mean, I the only thing I can think of is in the movie version, um, in extended scenes, they make a little bit more of a deal about it, but he has tiny little knights that he plays with um, yeah. inside his cupboard, and that strikes me as being like, oh, you know, you know the context of... There's probably a knight in shining armor in a story that you heard or or something. But I mean, apart from maybe being left to sit in front of the TV and watch a children's TV show as a kid, it's unclear just what, if any, stories Harry was raised on as a kid. And, And that's, you know, we know it's because they shied away from his, quote, abnormality. But in general, you know, that was a huge deal of child abuse. And that's not you know, what we hope for any child to be raised in those conditions.
1: Oh, heavens no. But then again, I mean, Harry did go to primary school, so... Yeah. I'm guessing he heard stories there.
2: That's true. Harry actually did receive uh normal muggle schooling, which as a consequence of them wanting to treat him normal, and that's a huge thing, right? That's actually, he can read and write up to a... He he knows some stuff.
1: Uh, yeah, and I guess uh, he gets Maths.
2: Yeah, he gets maths. He tells Hagrid, who Hagrid brushes it off. (laughs) One
3: question I wanted to go back to was the age at which you all think that witches or wizards start exhibiting these signs, right? Because I'm almost thinking about, uh, is it Adam's family values where Gomez and Morticia have (laughs) another kid and like, he's in the cradle and he like spits fire out he does something crazy. <laughs> yeah. and, I,
2: and I'm wondering,
0: I forgot like, about that.
3: Is it like, like
2: that? That's like Jack Jack too. In the upcoming trailer for Incredibles Two. I think it is. Well, Teddy Lupin, right? Um, baby Teddy, wasn't his, his hair already turning like bright blue. Yeah, but th- that, that's not exactly the same. I mean, it, <laughs> it, well, why not? I mean,
0: not everybody's well, a metamorphomagist. The hair can't, sure. It'd be one thing if the hair, like, Medusa was, like, coming to life and choking people or something. No, it's it is it's still magic. Yeah, I guess so. People's I'm hair gonna,
2: doesn't change right I'm gonna away. guess
0: it varies by age that you start exhibiting signs. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah,
1: because you remember they thought Neville was non-magical right. and they kept trying to force the magic out of him. And mm-hmm. I think it's normal. I mean, it can start very young and... This is probably just Canaan, according to Charisse. It can start very young, but if it hasn't exhibited by a certain age, say eight or nine, then they're probably chalking them up, chalking them up to be a squib.
2: Mm. Yeah, it's got to be interesting the kind of pressure that families put on their like wizarding families put on their kids to be magical. That's something that, as you mentioned, Neville, his family is definitely known for, um, you know, at least internally to us as readers of the Harry Potter series, because his great-uncle Algie threw him out a damn window, um, you know, and luckily he bounced. But these are real stories that that existed because everyone thought, everyone in Neville's family thought this child of these great, you know, witch and wizard aurors, uh who thrives to fight Voldemort, was a squib was a non-magic person and and that's its own set of pressure to kind of live up to um your siblings like ron experiences as well
3: they also do that in adam's family values by the way they throw the
2: baby out i'm wondering now did jk rowling get we her just inspiration off adam's family values <laughs> <laughs> probably i remember a guillotine in a scene for some reason there is and- yeah and then Good. he
3: just like puts up his fingers and he holds it right there
2: oh that's right oh i love that movie
0: What's well, it's I think I think it also varies because it's like sexuality or just developing an interest in a particular television show or or hobby. Like you just develop these things at various ages as you're growing up.
2: Yeah. Um, I and I guess to provide a fostering environment for that. Yeah. Yeah,
1: exactly. Um, like with the fostering environment, because poor Neville. I know that his grandmother loves him, but I don't, and I know we'll get to this further in the doc, but I don't think she provided the most nurturing environment for Neville.
3: I would agree. Mm. Yeah, that's fair.
2: Yeah, for sure. But
3: But I I do like the point you have here about um, magical plants and creatures. How do you go about teaching kids in the wizarding world? don't touch that venomous tentacula. Don't, you know, go pull <laughs> that mandrake out. Uh, stay away from the flower worm. I don't know. I'm just making stuff up as I go yeah. along here. But
1: um, I think some of it is just like with us, don't touch the roses because you'll get poked by the thorns. Mm. Um, it's just part of raising children. And it's just part of raising children in the muggle versus wizarding world because we have different plants and different animals um, or creatures on both sides. So it's just a matter of, okay, well, don't touch the rose thorns or don't touch the venomous tentacula.
2: (laughs) I hope a parent never has a venomous tentacula near a young child in the wizarding world. I hope that's that's not a common enough household plant. We see it at Hogwarts because it's the herbology department and yeah maybe there's a justification there and maybe there's not.
3: I just thought too could fantastic beasts and where to find them be a possible resource for parents to use with some of their kids.
0: Yeah, but I think part of it is just learning the hard way. These kids are going to get bit by creatures <laughs> and <laughs> plants and 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 sometimes these kids have to experience pain, right? Otherwise they don't know what, why they shouldn't really be doing it.
2: Did you stick your finger in the gnome's mouth? You know, (laughs) like, yeah, don't do that. They're going to bite.
0: No electrical outlets for, for them to stick their fingers (laughs) into. So maybe a good place for Micah to. You know, I'm pretty
2: sure when that happened to me, I'm pretty sure I was in my dad's arms. So it was, it's it's all on him. Way to go, dad. Yeah. Right.
0: (laughs) So let's, let's move on a little bit. Um, What do you think the most difficult part of parenting in the wizarding world would be? And we kind of have been touching on this, but Cherise, you you wrote down having to homeschool your children.
1: Oh, I would kill my kids if I had to homeschool them.
0: (laughs) 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 As wizards, why? Don't you want to teach magic?
1: I love my kids, (laughs) but I could never bless those parents that are able to homeschool. I just don't have the patience. Mm. Um, and I need that break. Yeah. Like, okay, it's school time. But um, like you guys were saying, hopefully maybe we'll see something in Fantastic Beast because it does cover such a large span. Hopefully we'll get to see new in Tina's children very young and see if they do homeschool them or do they have a special school for young witches and wizards.
2: That would be an interesting point because if Newt and Tina are romantically involved, you know, will there, will we see the fruit of their love? Will they, will we see their kids or will the series end before it happens? Um, I could see it in like a flash forward at the very end of
0: the series.
2: 19 years later, <laughs> <laughs> 20 it's years 60s. later. Yeah. No, I, I um, find that really interesting. Uh, the idea that, that even, even if we're thinking about, the Fantastic Beasts franchise, and whether any new characters will be parents. Um, Right now, I don't think there are any. I mean, uh, Mr. Shaw in the first one was a parent. We don't know about um, President Pickery, um, but pretty much everyone else is not a parent. None of the main characters are parents, but they're all adults. And so they could perceivably you know have a kid or adopt a kid or be around younger kids at some point like if grindelwald i don't know raids an orphanage or something but you know it 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 just kind of we know a certain uh child is is growing up um for the next four movies uh who will one day become voldemort in a less than ideal setting it's possible we'll see some of the younger what younger kids have it like um yeah in the wizarding world and in in upcoming movies kind of an interesting thing
0: to ponder, Cherise also brings up another good one: teaching the statue of s- secrecy and why it needs to be obeyed. That would be so difficult. Kids would not be able to grasp why they need to conceal their magic.
2: Yeah, why they can't talk to other kids around like the other side of the hill. Like I just wonder if Molly Weasley took him on a field trip, like took the took her kids on a field trip to the Muggle town of Ottery St. Catchpole, and was just like, "Here's some the Muggles. They don't have magic. We can't." We shouldn't interact. And here's and Fred and George messing it up and her having to fix it. Cherise, how
0: would you teach it to Elena Jane? Little witch Elena Jane. What would you say to her?
1: I would say, oh, heavens. Um, <laughs> maybe everyone has talents. Um, and us being magical, we have this talent to produce magic. Some people are scared of it. Mm. So because of that, we don't want other people to think we're doing something mean or wrong. They made this law that we have to, we can't do it around muggles unless it's a very special circumstance to save a life, for example.
0: You could also make it into a sort of game, like, can you keep a secret? Are you good at keeping secrets? Yeah. We have oh. we have a secret to share. Be my secret keeper.
1: That, I mean, just me being a foster parent, I can see that going both ways about playing a game with it to do that. But with the other things in their life, I wouldn't want them to think it's okay to keep a secret.
3: I think then that goes back to what time they start to exhibit magical abilities. Because if you're three or four years old, I don't know how much control you may even be able to exhibit or, or sorry, any like restraint that you may be able to show. It may just be that things start happening and and there's not much you can do about it. And it's just the nature of, of who you are at that time. So if you're not, Showing those abilities at three or four, that's probably different. But otherwise, I would think you would need to do your best to keep your your kids at home, unless as a parent you can put some kind of spell on them that restricts their abilities when you're out looking to just have dinner at a muggle restaurant or something
1: along <laughs> those lines.
2: Mm-hmm. Like the equivalent of a leash mm-hmm. <laughs> for your kid. But Magical. Eric, you said,
3: you know, if you uh you know, want to talk to the uh the person on the other side of the hill. I would think though generally, for the most part, Muggles are sorry, uh, um, witches and wizards would live in their own communities, right? Um they don't though. They don't. Yeah. I and, and well, so that's hard.
1: And I mean, in Harry Potter it does say that there are a few wizarding communities kind of spread out through um Britain because they say that they do have a lot of families that live kind of close to each other, and I think they do that for that reason as they do have other quote unquote support on like you were saying, Micah, I don't think these young children really have control over when magic comes out um because in fact. Dumbledore said that Um, Tom Riddle was it was odd that he had so much control over his magic at such a young age. Right. Um, So. I think that's one of the reasons why the community is so tight knit is so that those accidents don't happen, because if you're at a muggle playground. and your child and someone takes a toy away from your child and your child decides to turn the toy into a spider. You can't really control that. Right. So, I mean, yeah. it's going to scare all these muggles.
2: And it'd be even harder to punish your kid. You can't lock them in the room because they'll just get out of the room. <laughs> <laughs> You're grounded. Don't think so. going to take my broom, you know, but I don't, I don't know. Yeah, it'd be tough to regulate all that.
0: And I think
1: it would be kind of hard to punish your children for using unconscious magic. Right.
0: Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's right. It's not their fault. But like you could avoid giving them a broom. You could avoid giving them (laughs) access to a wand to make Mm -hmm. sure that these sort of escapes don't happen. Until it's time for Hogwarts. I'm all for this stuff at Hogwarts, but until then, yeah. Eh, it's, well, it's funny though that,
3: that we're talking about really wandless magic because in the series, it seems like it's something that is very, very advanced and very, very complicated, but yet we seem to think that kids who are very young can exhibit those types of actions. Right. Mm-hmm. And almost but,
2: accidentally.
3: I mean yeah but the difference here being that it's 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 uncontrolled it's just them kind of coming into their own and in and growing up
2: yeah i mean wandless magic i think it's i think it goes into this on pottermore but like the wand directs the energy or the flow like every witch or wizard is magical and capable of wandless magic it's just the wand is is how you focus it Um, so it is weird that wandless magic is taught as, as an advanced form of magic, you know, and nonverbal spells are like year six or year seven stuff. Um, but oftentimes that's what kids are doing. Um, you know, when they have heightened emotions and, and, but it's accidental, they don't know what they're doing.
0: Let's talk about specific mothers and their contributions.
2: Yeah, now that we recognize the full weight of the challenges of being a mom in the wizarding world or a mom to wizards, let's see who did it successfully and who did not do it <laughs> successfully.
0: Well, I think um, we'll start with Lily, one of oh. the most important mothers in the series. Without her, we wouldn't have Harry and there'd be no story. <laughs> It'd be Ron Weasley and the scary spiders. Or Nibble. Neville.
2: Yeah. Yes. It is interesting um, in talking about Lily Potter, but also especially for Mother's Day, that to to remember that Lily did something apparently no mother ever had done uh, yeah. in, in the Harry Potter world. And she put herself in front of her son.
1: Well, um, on that, Eric, I think maybe nobody had done in recent history right. because... Dumbledore says it's an old magic that Voldemort doesn't mm. think is useful. Yeah.
2: By that I I take it to mean it's ancient kind of um primal in its origins like uh the the kinds of of bonds of magical bonds we have with one another. You know, we've seen like the unbreakable vow like that can kill you if you break it apparently. Um, These sorts of interactions between witches and wizards, the magical bonds that form, I just take Dumbledore's statement to mean that, you know, it's almost endemic or inherent to, to magic in general. And it's not something that gets a lot of attention, but is some of the most powerful kind of protection you can give to someone is what Lily gives to Harry. But I think realistically, I'm not trying to like, salt the, the, this, the, the bed of, uh, plants here, but I find it a little unrealistic that, you know, in a wizarding war, parents wouldn't be sacrificing themselves for their kids on a daily basis. So whatever, that's what thwarted Voldemort fine. He wasn't anticipating it. We know he has a problem with really going the distance of, of trying to predict what happens, but it's a to push
0: Sorry? back on that, though, I mean, it could have just been that Lily was the only one who was specifically put in that
2: situation where she was able to jump in front of her child. Yeah, and that's true. And people might also point out that the prophecy kind of enabled it because the prophecy said that he would mark a child somehow. And so mm-hmm. when, it, when when the spell rebounded, it allowed that prophecy to be fulfilled. So maybe that was an additional reason why Lily's particular sacrifice worked. But, I mean, there is no cause for the death. or There's only one survivor ever of the death curse, and that's Harry Potter. I think he actually survived it twice. But, um, you know, it's because of this old magic and Lily's protection. So her love for her kid, I don't think we can dispute it, right? She loved Harry. Yeah, um, And there's that scene in Cursed Child where she... He plays with him and giggles when he's in the pram or when he's in the stroller, which is really, really heartwarming. Mm. Um, But a heartwarming moment in Cursed
0: Child. Who would have thunk? Who would have thunk?
3: And I also wonder that moment, because when you're experiencing it in the theater, you get a sense for how many opportunities Voldemort gave Lily to stand aside. Um, Yeah. And I think that's
1: what enacted it. The um, protection is that Voldemort did not go there like he didn't care if he killed James. He was probably ready to kill James. But he did not go there to kill Lily.
2: Right. Snape had asked him to spare Lily. Yes. And so I think
1: that's what makes it unique. So I think any parent would jump in front of their child to save them. Yeah. Uh, But I think that it's, he's like, step aside, step aside. And she's like, oh, hell no.
2: (laughs) Yeah, you're right. There's more to it about the intentionality of Voldemort was choosing to spare her and she still sacrificed herself. Um, But then the other the other thing to talk about when we talk about Lily is kind of what she passed on to her son. And I mean, she loved him. And I think that he deeply has a sense of after he starts hearing her um, sobbing, after he starts hearing her pleading with Voldemort in year three, he's coming to terms with the fact that he was very loved as a child. Um, And anytime he sees like pictures, I mean, the, the book Hagrid gives him at the end of year one, you know, of of him as a kid with his parents playing with him, like There's this tremendous sense of you were loved. And I think that that goes on to affect Harry in deep, deep, deep ways the rest of his life. But also genetically, he has her eyes. And it's that which is a reminder to Snape to kind of keep protecting him. And Harry Mm -hmm. survives because of the gifts that his parents gave him. And even though he mostly looks like James, who Snape revolted, his eyes alone are what Snape chooses to be the last thing he sees in his life.
3: It's not just Snape though, although he is the prime example because so many people throughout the series will tell Harry about his looks and his eyes. But I, I even think about Lupin uh, who kind of, uh, you know, in looking at Harry and and tells the story of how basically Lily was always there for him too. It's so it's, it's a reminder to a lot of pivotal characters in the series who Lily was and, and what she represented
2: yeah thank you jeans <laughs> <laughs> I thought Let's... you were thinking some denim or something <laughs> thank you Levi <laughs> I,
3: I want to see can we can we just skip down to Narcissa here for a second because I yeah. think that she's very much tied into Lily in the sense that you know she she more or less does the same thing for Harry except it it doesn't result um in, in her, you know, being killed by Voldemort, um, she makes a sacrifice. I mean, she's taking a massive risk when she pronounces that Harry is dead and he is in fact alive. Uh you know, it is again a, a mother's love that is saving Harry, except in this case it's for her own son, Draco. Uh but I think they're very much aligned start of series, end of series uh, with these two moments and these two mothers.
2: Do they pull the same trick twice? Is it, in fact, Narcissa's lie that saves Harry's life? I mean, I I understand how technically it works because Vol- she tells Voldemort that he's dead so he doesn't you know, expect to uh, attack him. But is it actually like magical protection? Is that what you're saying? I'm not saying it's magical. Pro-
3: well, I mean, I think Harry's sacrifice is the magical protection for ultimately how— everybody on his side ends up winning the battle. At least that's how I've always interpreted it. Oh, right, right, right. But, no, no, I don't think that she is, there's no like magic attached to it, but I think it's a common thread, right? So the series starts off with the mother's sacrifice um, and and, and a mother's love protecting a child and it ends up saving Harry's life and, and it's very much the same thing with what Narcissa does, even though she's protecting Draco, but she's ultimately protecting Harry. I mean, yeah,
2: she's she, choosing her son over everything else.
3: And it's the most unlikeliest, I think, of characters that you yeah. would expect to, to do
2: something like this. I actually really agree. I think it's brilliant. And it's great that you pointed that out. We, we don't really get too much insight on Narcissa as a parent throughout the series to Draco. Um, it seems like, I mean, we see Draco with his dad a number of times. Draco's dad is doing all the manipulations, the machinations, that sort of thing. Um, you know, I really wonder what Draco's relationship with Narcissa was as, as he grew up, what kind of a, a parent she was, or, you know, I, cause I, she obviously was in a position where Lucius, I think was more vindictive and evil and, and interested in, you know, kind of guiding their family a certain way. I think Narcissa was often that soft touch that Draco kind of needed. Um, I
1: think, I think she pampered Draco Draco quite a bit. Um, just by how she went to Snape. You have to protect my son. Oh. You have to protect him um, or he's going to be killed. So I think she was definitely, I think she was definitely a very nurturing mother um, and, but like you said, we definitely see more interaction between Draco and Lucius than we do Draco and Narcissa.
2: Then again, doesn't she, isn't she in Diagon Alley with him a couple of times? Like, uh, buying his school yes. books and stuff. Um, maybe is she, I think she's actually in book one in Madame Malkin's. Maybe mm. we see her more than we realize remember the one i realize but um let's talk
0: about molly who is regarded as one of the most motherly most present <laughs> mo- yeah. mothers in the series i mean she's regarded probably and we'll talk about this we did a poll on patreon a little little um that we'll talk about a little later on she's probably the best mother because we see so much of her we see her probably in every book yeah. um taking care of not just the Weasleys,
2: but Harry, like, and Hermione, like Harry is her own son and, and Hermione. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, definitely. We definitely have the most evidence of, you know, her being a good mother. We have the most insight into what her style is as a mother. You know, she's pretty stern, pretty strict, but ultimately gives so much love. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, she's knitting scarves or knitting sweaters for people who aren't her biological children. And, you know really is there she she intervenes uh in and and actually overrules or tries to overrule Sirius Black Harry's own godfather you know in matters that concern uh Harry's well-being and she steps in she's his she's really his surrogate mother I mean she's more of a parent to Harry than Sirius than anyone else will ever be um like good for Molly and she's such a you know such a badass
0: Give it up for Molly Weasley, everybody. Phenomenal.
2: <laughs> wow. Haven't but, I mean, not that to mention, a long time. Not to mention raising, you know, seven children of her own. Seven children of her own. Yeah. I um, mean, lots. I mean, I'm sure, Sharice, you have her beat, but... Uh, so it's,
1: it's not <laughs> I've any... never had seven at once.
2: No? Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, Bill, Charlie, Percy, some of them turned out all right. Um, you know, she I, I... she definitely i of course have huge respect for molly
1: but
0: having magic probably makes it a little easier to be a mother for I example can't have
2: magic too it's like that line in the other minister chapter yeah like uh, we just agreed that they'd be harder to control right well yeah but well yes that that's
0: a good point but i'm also thinking like there's probably less to do around the house when you can have magic do it take care of it yeah like cleaning the dishes and i know this is like oh here goes andrew talking about <laughs> women in the stereotypical roles but molly was the stay-at-home mom who took care of the kids and
1: we see that in the books mm-hmm. that she is someone that does the dishes yeah. so i mean i think it's safe to say that but yeah when you can wave your wand and the dishes just start doing themselves I wish I could do that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, well, like you said, Cherise, too. At like um, the patience aspect of being home with your kids all the time, right? And and homeschooling them, like Molly did, do that. Molly, Molly made the conscious decision to be a stay-at-home mother. We are meant to believe, and she she has that patience to where she did. She was with him twenty-four hours a day,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and did not seek another career or did not seek presumably didn't even get a break really and that's that just shows like how amazingly i guess equipped she was to fulfill that role or or how much pleasure she gets out of it or something but i mean there's there's just different styles but i think molly really like at who she is as a mother is not ever to be seen as a weak thing that's for sure um you know and she got these kids to to where they needed to be all on her own you know while mm-hmm. arthur worked yeah
3: yeah, I mean, let's not forget the scene in Deathly Hallows where she takes out Bellatrix, so she's...
2: She, like, explodes Bellatrix, I mean, well, if I'm remembering the movie, but... Yeah, the movie. Yeah, uh, but, yeah that was a
0: fan-favorite scene for sure. Yeah.
1: yeah, I definitely was thinking the same thing, Micah, just with, even though she did stay at home, she's still real badass. I mean, she was still able to duel, mm-hmm. even after... I'm gonna say probably close to thirty years of raising children.
2: Yeah, and she she held her own with Voldemort's number one defender, one the number number one Death Eater, the the killer of Sirius Black, the crazy torturing Bellatrix Lestrange.
1: And no, and I yes. guess
2: the thing is, she didn't realize she was killing another mother. <laughs> dot 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 dot. At the time, a new mother, not to mention, yeah, presumably, so, Bellatrix had had a kid six months earlier, four months earlier.
3: I've kind of wondered about this too. Now that we're, you know, uh, talking about cursed child, why is the revenge factor never on the Weasley family for the fact that Molly killed Bellatrix? Why is the focal point on Voldemort and bringing him back? Like, what do you mean? Well, Molly killed her mom. Right, so don't you think part of her revenge would want to be against oh. the Weasley family?
2: Oh,
1: yeah. But Bellatrix wasn't the Dark Lord.
2: That's yeah. true, but it's still her mom. Yeah, yeah. There should have been some kind of residual terrible writing anger against <laughs> anger against the Weasleys. Maybe for for that. This is a I,
3: massive I... plot hole that I've uncovered here, and <laughs> I just want to make that point.
0: Well, I, I hate to put this into play but maybe molly weasley isn't alive
2: anymore they mentioned Petunia being dead i yeah I, um
3: well it doesn't have to be molly i mean molly has kids and grandkids
1: mm-hmm. yeah but wouldn't it i mean going after Herrick's children that's to me kind of hitting two birds with one stone because he married a weasley yeah mm-hmm. it's also
2: Ginny's children Maybe. Yeah. But but I mean, they're wrong to point out that element of it, I think or to not point out that element of it where, you know, a Weasley was responsible for Delphi's mom's death. But I think Delphi is in the play really attached to her paternal connection. Um, yeah. Voldemort, and and it isn't really mentioned like because she's raised by what is it, um Robaston or not Robaston, uh, Um Rudolphus. Just some, uh, yeah, uh, some other Death Eater she's raised by, and then Rodolphus does get out of Azkaban or whatever, and then tells her who she really is. Um, yeah, but anyway, she's—I guess she never developed that attachment to her mother because Molly killed her too quickly <laughs> for that to happen. Yeah, um, it's just kind of interesting to factor to think of Bellatrix as a mother now, which is not something I ever thought of until we were preparing this document. Um, but you know, presumably bellatrix if we could judge her as a mother like she was out fighting a war um for nefarious causes she was being super super evil trying to kill Ginny um when she had a newborn infinite home i just
0: think we should have no respect for bellatrix as a mother mother because it was highly irresponsible to bring a child into the dark uh, into the dark lord's child into the world it wasn't right and it's not canon so I guess we're no. It's, right. canon. Sorry, yeah, it's, it's canon. Sorry,
2: it's canon. Oh, you believe that now?
0: Yep. Well,
2: I believed well, it Andrew's from the moment J.K. Rowling oh, said it was all canon. <clears throat> uh-huh.
3: Andrew's always believed that.
2: Yeah, but I, I just, I always call it into question because I choose not to.
0: Bellatrix. Uh, we don't really know much about her, her way as a mother, but uh, presumably it wasn't too great. <laughs>
1: I'm thinking she probably pawned that kid off as soon as she could.
2: Mm. Ah, like like kids only get interesting when you can teach them stuff, you know, kind of thing. Yeah.
0: We have a couple more mothers to discuss, including Petunia and Hagrid (laughs) and Augusta Longbottom. Uh, And then we'll get to some uh, responses from our patrons and those who follow us on Twitter. But first, it's time to tell you about this week's sponsor. They are Beachbody On Demand. They are an easy-to-use streaming service that gives you instant access to a wide variety
2: of super effective workouts at home or wherever you are. Beachbody On Demand has hundreds of effective workouts for all fitness levels, ranging from bodybuilding to weight training to cardio to yoga and even dance workouts they are so fun and the uv2 program is my personal
0: favorite it's a, it's a dance workout because it's a fun way to get in 30 minutes of cardio between other activity throughout the day it helps me ensure i surpass my daily move goal on my apple watch and i get my heart rate up in a fun way it's just phenomenal and by the way i know beach body on demand works a it's been working for me in terms of completing my goals and then b my boyfriend has been using it for well over a
2: year, and he's gotten amazing results from it. Eric, what program have you been using? I just started P ninety. That's the ninety day body transformation uh, workout for for everybody, and it's hosted. I, I actually, it's it's my favorite guy. I always mention him. My man Tony Horton, uh, <laughs> who mixes humor. I, I love this guy, and his workout videos are so fun. He mixes humor with uh if you've seen him you'd know he's like super ripped super competent and he inspires me he inspires confidence uh and he produces this program p90 which is 90 days of workouts uh but he makes it you really want to uh complete it so i've i just taped the h to my living room floor and i've got it uh all figured out and it's going to be an exciting 90 day run for me we're going to see how far i can get yeah, the people
0: who lead you in these workouts really are inspiring. It's 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 fun to you feel like you're with them. Yeah. They're really good at connecting with you. Mm-hmm. We really want you to try the service because it is the best deal in fitness. This is way more affordable and convenient than going to the gym. And thanks to the fact that you can use it anytime anywhere, you'll
2: find yourself actually using it. And right now our listeners can get a free special trial membership when you text Mugglecast, the name of our show and it's all one word, no spaces, to 303030. That's 303030, the code MuggleCast. So easy to sign up. Just do it right now over your
0: phone. You will get full access to this entire platform for free. All the workouts, the nutrition information, and support totally free. Again, just text MuggleCast to 303030. Do it right now. You're going to love it. Do I'm it. telling it's,
2: you. It's really, really good. This comes with my highest recommendation. Let's talk about
0: Augusta Longbottom first, before we get to Hagrid and Petunia.
2: I love sort of the dialogue earlier, like Sharice as well. Like you said, like she probably wasn't the greatest mother. She was kind of a little imposing and had like, we see her, basically what they did to Neville was another form of child abuse, you know, kind of, they not only verbally told him he was no good um, or allowed him to believe that he was no good, which didn't do wonders for his confidence, um, but you know Augusta. I don't know where she was the day Uncle Algy threw Neville out a window, but I feel like there are some lines you don't cross, and that might be one of them.
1: I can definitely see her sanctioning that. Um, she seems of an older generation that maybe that's a good point. Upset if their family produces a squib. Um, Because he also got thrown into Blackpool Pier. Um, Yes. So (sighs) I think because it's like she didn't really start acknowledging Neville's magical abilities until the sixth or seventh book. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess technically at the end of the 5th because of the fight at the ministry.
2: Oh, yeah, that's right. She has sort of a positive reaction to him risking his life um, with his friends and coming out of coming out alive. She sees his father in him or his parents mm. in him for like maybe the first time ever as a result of that. Yeah, but I
0: wonder... On-, Sorry. on the flip side, she did support Harry and Dumbledore when the Daily Prophet was going against them. So oh, at least she... She believed Harry and Dumbledore's story when so many others who were wizards themselves did not because well, they're being brainwashed. she
2: realizes the, the and I think this is a great thing for Neville too. She realizes the cost because her son, I'm assuming it is her son and not her daughter who are neville's parents um because of her last name is also Longbottom um but uh you know her son and his wife died or 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 were tortured to madness. By Voldemort, by Voldemort's supporters, his followers, uh, the other mother, Bellatrix Lestrange um, and all that other stuff. So she always has had a healthy kind of understanding that the Dark Lords, the threat of the Dark Lord is real. But Mm -hmm. she didn't really take the loss of her son and daughter in the way that, you know, Neville is a, a, a gem to be protected. The fact that he survived this horrible assault. Instead, she kind of goes right on to hard love and assaulting him herself.
3: Right. But she does remind me of McGonagall a bit. I mean, we see more of McGonagall, but I think there are definite similarities between their their personalities in the sense that they're very stern. They probably have a bit of an old-school touch to them, but because we see McGonagall more, I think we also are able to see the the more maternal side of her as well, especially with Harry. Mm. Uh, but I thought that they're probably two individuals that come from generally the same time frame, uh going back if if we were to look sort of at the the history. So
1: Yeah. I think that the right about the same age because In year four, no, pardon me, in year six, when they um, are going over their OWLs um, and Augusta told Neville that, oh, charms is a soft option. And McGonagall's like, just because your grandmother did not receive an OWL of charms (laughs) does not mean it's a soft option. I will be sending her a note. You
2: know, I can't tell if that's because McGonagall was her peer and was unusually focused on what Augusta got as like a rival, or if it was because McGonagall is so old that she also taught Neville's grandmother.
3: Huh. I couldn't tell. <laughs> I don't know if she I, taught her. That that would be that would be pretty amazing.
2: But that would be. <laughs> I think it's yeah, more of a peer I think thing. They're
1: probably peers. I yeah. can see them both being in Gryffindor house together.
2: I actually like that. I mean, you, you pointed out, Sharice, that um, Neville's grandmother being an older person coming from a different era, right? Like, but we see this with our parents, like capital punishment or non-capital punish- punishment, in schools. Um, mm-hmm. You know, for instance, even my mother was raised in a Catholic school where the nuns, you always hear about the nuns <laughs> sla- slapping your knuckles with rulers, like, like metal lined rulers too, for, for discipline, um, things you cannot do in schools today, Um, but in general, even parents spanking their kids, that's frowned upon now. It is less, it is less common to even slap your kid's bum. Um, you know, whereas in Augusta's, uh, you know, when she was raising Frank Longbottom and when, when she herself was raised, that was probably a lot more common.
1: Oh, I agree. Um, kind of, I was raised by my grandparents, like Neville was Hmm. so, um, I can definitely be on the safe wavelength as Neville because my grandmother had totally different ideas than Mm. my friend's parents.
2: Oh.
1: Because she did come from a totally different generation and era. Yeah. So um, I think, like I said earlier, I think, Augusta is definitely from an older generation where things were done differently. Um, though the magical world is definitely backwards in a lot of ways or hasn't caught up to the times. Yeah. Um, I think they had slowly kind of in a little bit, the parenting styles or the idea of having a squib in the family had changed.
2: Yeah, and I think ultimately Neville is able to prove himself. We find out in Cursed Child just how important Neville really was, uh, because Voldemort would still be around if it weren't for his specific action that he took. But my point is, I think Neville is able to please and come to terms with Augusta's demands and earn her respect. Hegrid. Yes,
0: a mother, Uh, the mother of Norbert, Beaky. So many others like Aragog, <laughs> Fang, <laughs> the Flubberworms. He and also really a mother to to Harry, Ron, and Hermione at school. Like the the trio always trusted him. They went that, to him
2: for that's help. A good, that's a good point, actually. Viewing Hagrid as a mother figure to the beasts is funny, but also very true. Um, but as a, as a mother to the trio, as like a home away from home mom. That's an interesting perspective.
0: Yeah. And like Hagrid was always the trio was always going to Hagrid because they trusted him. I think Hagrid would have also um, welcomed other students who asked for help.
2: Yeah. And it
1: seems like him and Charlie might have had a close bond while Charlie was at school. Yeah. Yeah, You know what? That's
2: that's something I want a, a J.K. Rolling pen story on really. Um, hagrid and bill charlie hey hagrid and charlie yeah um and i think uh doesn't doesn't hagrid or hagrid works with is it bill no it is charlie at the triwizard tournament in year four charlie's Mm -hmm. hanging out with hagrid at some point or they see each other um and it's like a little reunion a little mother-son reunion
0: well yeah Um, when he was there with the dragons did charlie tip hagrid off about the dragons
2: i was that it i can't remember but I mean he also knows Hagrid likes danger. Hagrid's <laughs> such an interesting character because he is a mother he he's a he's a mother by choice and he chooses to raise these creatures that otherwise would not be uh d- treated well. Mhm. And his
3: brother, half-brother, let's not forget about.
2: Yeah, the fact he that he's willing to takes, take care of him. Yeah, he takes care of him. He he gets I think why did he even grab Grop? Was it because the other giants would have killed him?
1: Yeah, Grop was a lot smaller compared to the other giants. So, since he was smaller, they picked on him quite a bit.
2: He was like the runt of the litter, and he probably would have
0: died or or something. I know somebody who doesn't like Hagrid. I'm like, what the hell, man? Come no, on, who he is like a Hagrid? mother. Yeah.
1: And well, then, can you not like Hagrid?
0: Right. Thank you. And then, and then finally, the only non magical mom we're going to talk about today petunia mother to harry and dudley (laughs) kind of a mother to harry not really i guess because of how poorly she treated him do we forgive her for how she treated harry given that she was dealing with vernon she was dealing with dumbledore's requests uh i guess she was feeling some way about her sister lily i i don't forgive her because there is no excuse for how they treated harry she should have um stood up to vernon um to give harry a better life she should have introduced harry to being a wizard uh much earlier not having not needing hagrid to do the introductions uh there's some good scenes with her in the cursed child in which she keeps tries to keep the secret away from harry but harry is looking at his parents' graves and saying, well, there's all these flowers here. And then she's like, oh, the flowers just must have blown over from other graves. (laughs) Oh, but there's letters addressed to Lily and James about how great they were and for for fighting. Oh, uh, awkward.
2: That scene where she takes him to his parents' grave strikes me as being not realistic canonically.
0: Um, Why? You don't think Petunia would? What if Harry said, I want to go see my parents'
2: grave? It wouldn't have happened the way it happens in the play, that's for sure. Um, I mean, in the book, she swipes a, a frying pan at his head. It could have broken his skull. It could have given him a concussion and permanent brain damage. Like she absolutely is the worst. Um, now, when you when talking about Petunia, like it's always it's always in the extreme because I think even Dumbledore says like in order for the magical protection to work, in order for Harry's uh, and Lily's blood to be the protecting thing that, that means Harry can't be found on Privet drive. He needs to be offered a home and he needs to be able to call Privet drive home. And they did the, the, the very baremost minimum, which makes both Petunia and Vernon the worst humans ever.
3: Harry for her is a constant reminder of not only Lily, but the fact that she herself is not qualified to go to Hogwarts. Right. So and I'm not in any way, shape or form, trying to um you know give petunia a free pass, but every time she looks at Harry, I think she's probably feeling a lot of things one is the the resentment of of not being accepted to where she wanted to go, um not feeling as if she was as good as her sister, um but also the loss of her sister and And I think we see that come to the surface in. In Deathly Hallows, a little bit, but it, dealing with all those things, I think that really is is directing her treatment of Harry. She also has her own son that she takes care of and and spoils, and and we would probably argue, in a lot of ways, raises just as badly as as the way she treats Harry. Um, yeah, Dumbledore
2: for... makes has that line about you've you as parents have done far more damage to him than i could ever, right? Like something like that he says to them and they're all confused. What do you mean, Dudders? We didn't, you know, what's going on, but in spoiling him, but they fostered this environment where Harry and and Dudley are against each other. They allowed that to happen where they were rivals and you got to you got to rein that shit in as parents. If you well, have two children who are fighting or arguing or bickering, sure some is to be expected. I'm sure Charisse, you agree, but You know, you got it. You got a whole you got to put a handle on that. And (laughs) Dudley's gang of kids, which they somehow failed to see, were regularly going around beating up kids in the neighborhood. And that's Mm. not good parenting. No, but I
3: think you could also make the argument that Dudley is learning from Petunia and Vernon how to treat Harry. So it's, it's not just like they're at odds with each other and Petunia and Vernon need to step in and Mm. separate them, and send them to their rooms, and and teach them, you know, different things. It's that they see Petunia, or sorry, uh, Dudley sees uh, Petunia swipe at Harry with a frying pan, or how she speaks to him, or the fact that he lives under the stairs, or any number of things. And so he feels like it's just his right to do exactly the same, if not worse, to him.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, and he's getting...
1: kind of go off of some of what you guys have said. I think Vernon follows a lot of Petunia's lead when it comes to Harry, um, because he doesn't want to upset her.
2: Mm-hmm. Right.
1: Because uh, it even says that in the opening chapter of book one, right. when he's like, should I mention something? I don't want to upset her. Yeah. Um, so I think, and then also, as you guys heard, I think they definitely took both boys to the extreme. I mean, I think Dudley would have been spoiled no matter what. But I think they probably went a step above what they normally would have if Harry hadn't lived with them. Just to bring Harry down another notch. uh, So that he feels worse.
0: All right, so on Patreon, we did this poll. Who is the best mother in the Wizarding World series? Uh, Molly, far and away, has the lead. I only launched it a couple hours ago. Uh, she's got 40 votes. Lily comes in second with 14. And uh, nobody else is really getting any other votes. Narcissa actually got three, which is interesting. Three people found her to be the best mother in the Wizarding World, maybe related to what we were talking about earlier. Um you know lying about harry being dead or alive uh lying about harry being dead uh petunia no vote so far bellatrix one vote hagrid one vote and that's where the where it stands so far but rebecca said is there any doubt it's obviously molly the woman has a heart of gold and would do anything not just for her own children but for harry as well Mm. Uh, michael what did we ask on patreon and, and twitter
3: well, uh, we asked the, pretty much the same question that we've been talking about for most of this episode. Um, you know, what would be some of the challenges of raising a young witch? Excuse me, a young witch or wizard? Um, and um, first, over on Twitter, we heard from Christine Davies who said, "Wizarding parents have to teach their children about the need for secrecy and magical abilities at the same time. They'd want to instill a sense of self worth." As a parent, I'd be saddened to see my children hiding their true selves. Maggie said, uh, it's tricky to teach principles and values and not be able to see if your child is following them because you're distant. You're not a part of your child's routine.
2: I agree. Like Hermione's, probably was a diligent enough child to write to her parents, but just the fact that you're without your, your kid can't come home from school every day. You know, a lot of muggle parents would experience your kid coming home from school every day. But if your kid's at a boarding school, that's not the case. Yeah, they don't really talk about being homesick much, do
0: they? Like, you no. you go home for the holidays, and I'm sure that's nice. But I, I, mean, I would think most kids, especially being as young as 11, 12, 13, 14, would really miss being away from their parents for so long.
2: It's only the appeal of learning magic and learning and becoming your own yeah. person that like really prized. Is that
0: know. it? Is Hogwarts just so great that
2: you don't you don't miss home?
0: Well, Ronald, <laughs> I guess it is a Ron, lot better than for home. For
2: Ron, all his siblings are already there anyway. Like he he's pretty much, you know, Hogwarts for Ron is a home away from home. Harry has nothing to get back to. So he doesn't care. But somebody like. Yeah, Ronnie, but-
0: But other characters, do they get homesick? I'm trying to remember
2: examples of that. I I don't know. It's just like for somebody like Seamus or Dean and, um, you know, they're one of one or both of their parents have gone to Hogwarts. It's seen as a, just the life, uh, a natural progression, right? It's just seen as what you do. This is Hogwarts. This is where you're going to learn to be who you are because of who, of what you are. Um, All right.
1: Yeah. I definitely agree. It's, I think if you're raised in a wizarding family, Hogwarts is just something that you do. It's talked about from the time that you're little to the time that you go. And if you have o- older siblings, it's just a part of life. And I think if you um, are muggle-born and you're going to Hogwarts, learning that magic and seeing that magic... For the first time, I think, definitely for the first few months, oh my gosh, I don't think they have time to comprehend being homesick. Right.
3: We also heard from Rachel, who said, little one's magical powers starting to develop and they have trouble controlling it. Talked yeah. a little bit about that earlier. April said, new mom here of an eight-week-old little boy. Oh. So sending oh. my child off to school where I wouldn't see them for a majority of the year. And then watch. Watching them wait for their magic to, quote, come in, and then being anxious to see if they will even be magical in a wizard family. Yeah. So we didn't touch on that at all. You know, what happens if you are a squib?
0: I would put them up for adoption. <laughs> Jesus. Okay. Okay. Wow. <laughs> um, Janet. No, uh, I, these are two very stressful questions. I mentioned getting homesick, but for the parent, watching your child go to school, that's always a major rite of passage in the muggle world, sending them off to uh, preschool, kindergarten, elementary school for their first time. I can't imagine what it would be like as a parent to send your child away, essentially, for the next seven, eight years. So you're going to see them over summers, hopefully, and the holidays, hopefully. Um, but yeah, you're, you're, it's like going off to college, but they're going off to Hogwarts way earlier than they go off to college. So that would be so difficult.
1: I know earlier I joked about not being able to do homeschool, which I probably wouldn't be able to homeschool my kids. But, um, I couldn't imagine not seeing them every day.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And there's no FaceTime. There's no phones.
2: There's just owls. Just owls. And the occasional Christmas break, right? Um, right. But, well, if you go yeah. home for it. Yeah. If you go home for it.
3: But
0: it's sure. And it, from what we've read in the books, it seems like most people do go home for it. Right. Your parents would probably force you.
2: Yeah, I mean, but like Hermione's parents are just that anomaly. They're just like those, They like we want what's best for our daughter. And we're happy that she's going off and learning the skills because she's special. Like they're just... They've just always enabled her being special and unique and at great you know, personal cost of not getting to see her every day. They could have put their foot down and been like, what is this? No, you're not going off to this boarding school. We we need you here. You know, you need to become the, the third in the line of dentists. You know, I, I don't know. <laughs> they could have handled it differently.
3: Yep. Uh, a couple more here. Janet says, I know other countries do it, but I can't imagine sending my child away for 10 months a year. Uh, toddlers are hard enough without making things float or disappear. Teenagers <laughs> operating. Amen to
1: that. <laughs>
3: uh, teenagers operating, enough said. And then Molly Weasley was a badass.
2: Agreed.
1: Well, with teenagers, let's just say we have alarms on all of our doors and all of our windows. <laughs> That's one so way to do it. there is no operating in and out of our home without our knowledge. Huh.
3: And uh, finally, Rachel says, not a mom, but your kids could illegally learn how to apparate young like the Marauders learned um, becoming an Imagi and literally leave their rooms to gallivant around the country at a whim without needing to save for plane tickets.
0: Yeah, sure. you mentioned alarms, but like those aren't going to do very good in the Wizarding World unless you're referring to a spell alarm.
1: Yeah, and then they have like, think about when. The trio operated into hogsmeade and the catawaddling charm went off.
2: Yeah. Mm. Um,
1: I'm sure parents can put anti apparition jinxes on certain rooms in the house. You or, yeah. Yeah. Put alarms via spells on the windows or certain rooms.
2: Yeah. The classic, you know. Tactics to prevent your kid from sneaking out at night. Yes. Okay. Well, thanks to everybody who submitted
0: feedback on patreon.com slash muggocast and twitter.com slash muggocast. We're going
2: to wrap today's show up with Quizage. Okay. So last week's Quizage question was as follows. In the trio's third year, what is the Care of Magical Creatures exam? And uh, the actual correct answer, I I loved this one. We read it recently over on Patreon for our chapter readings. Uh, It's that your flobberworm has to be alive at the end of an hour. This was Hagrid's exam after the stuff with Buckbeak happened. And uh, he was just so, his heart was not in it. So the exam was just keep your flobberworm alive. And uh, the, the funny part in the book is that because flobberworms excelled when left to their own devices... The exam was basically to do nothing um, for one hour. So that's why I'm pretty sure Harry, Ron, and Hermione all passed. The winners of this week's Quizitch were Justin Knoll, Ryan Nolan, Jennifer St. George, Sean Brady, and Danielle Itak. And again, to submit, you just have to find us on Twitter, at Reply Us, and say this week's Quizich answer is blank. So this week's question coming up, we have a Mother's Day themed one. And this is really, 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 really hard. So... Good luck with it, everybody. But which mother in the Harry Potter series is named after a Roman Catholic saint whose feast day is famously preceded by a gathering of witches? Hagrid. Rubius Hagrid. Shh. Don't. don't, Well, submit your answers through Twitter.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I have some exciting news to wrap up today's episode. All of the episodes that were broken on MuggleCast.com are now restored except for the mini muggle casts and the leaky mugs those like offshoot things but all the main episodes are now working uh there was close to 200 that were broken because of an old server um they have now been uh re-uploaded to a place where hopefully they won't disappear from again and feel free to go back and listen to them you can download them or you can stream them right on the Mugglecast. Websites,
2: And we'll fix so. the leaky mugs too. We have, uh, we have them. We just got to put them up. Yeah. Um, Come on, Eric, send them to me. I know I got to send them to you. Well, uh, we did get a lot of messages though. People really like going back through old muggle casts, And I mean, I can't possibly yeah. see what the value is of 90 minutes of us talking about whether Slughorn is, uh, evil but uh, I mean, I guess well, that's still. Up for I think
0: grabs. what people want to do is listen to us speculating about Deathly Hollows and Half Blood yeah. Prince, like that. That kind of stuff is exciting to listen back to, knowing what happens now.
2: Yeah, yeah. So um, wow. anyway, I wasn't judging people. I'm really happy that they find some use in these old episodes um, that are now reavailable. So thanks for doing that, Andrew. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: and the MuggleCast website has links to our Twitter and our Facebook and our Patreon. Uh, thank you to everybody who supports us over there. It is what keeps this show going weekly, and we have a host of benefits for those who support us at patreon.com slash mugglecast. You can participate in polls. You can listen to our live stream. We're recording live, usually on Saturday mornings, and people are chiming in as we record. And by the way, thank you to James, who points out that um, the the... Uh, petunia harry scenes that i was referencing earlier in the cursed child those were actually dream sequences though those weren't flashbacks my bad uh that's the kind of feedback we get over <laughs> the yeah. live stream we get corrected <laughs> instantly when we make mistakes so do we think that uh we that they
2: didn't actually happen
0: well no because a james says that harry wakes from it and says i never went to Godric's hollow with petunia oh so. yeah that's right It was just a dream. Of course, of course it was a dream. I should know this. I saw it twice, two weeks ago. Yeah. (laughs) The smoke confirms it's a dream. (laughs) Smoke doesn't happen IRL. No. Um, Yeah, so I think that's that. Cherise, thanks for joining us again.
1: Thanks for having me. This has been a blast. Thanks for lending
2: your, your unique perspective. I thought it was amazing. Yes, say hello to Elena Jane for us.
1: I will do. She'll be quite happy that mommy will be out of her room. (laughs)
0: <laughs> oh, oh! You're in her room. Why are you in her no, room? No,
1: I'm thing? in my room. Out of oh, I'm in, oh.
0: I see. Yeah, got it. Okay, yeah. And uh, early Happy Mother's Day to you.
1: Well, thank you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and you three, don't forget to call your moms.
2: We will. We will. Well, what do we call her? <laughs> Did it? Sh- <laughs> uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go spend the rest of the day with my mom. So I'm pretty happy.
0: Happy Mother's Day to all of you who are moms out there and listening. But not a happy Mother's Day to you, Bellatrix. I'm still upset with you. Mm. And Petunia. And Petunia. But Petunia died, so that's kind of mean, to...
2: Uh, that's say. well, I don't know. Depends on what you read.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so did Bellatrix. Uh,
2: yeah, that's true. Darn it! All
0: right, I take back my my insults to Bellatrix and Petunia. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah.
1: And I'm Charisse. Bye. 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 Bye.